Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. It may interest you to know. I'm Tony and Margolini. Um, and I have a very special guest here today, three-time Emmy-winning actress, Katie McLean. Welcome, Katie. Hi, thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Tony. Yeah, well, I was telling you before we started recording, um, you know, I'm a fan, uh, actually followed your career I, I want to say from the beginning, but you can correct me if there was something before All My Children. I really, uh, that I don't know, but I first became acquainted with you on All My Children and you looked awfully young. So I'm thinking that's that was the launch of your career. Well, it was the launch of some kind of notoriety. I mean, I started when I was nine uh, acting oh. professionally. Um, but it, whether you could call that, um, you know, I wasn't famous. I wasn't a famous child actor. I'd done lots of commercials. Uh, I'd done uh, two um, uh, big movies, studio movies, My Favorite Year and Pennies from Heaven. And then I'd done uh, a lot of television, um, television movies of the week, like Who Will Love My Children with Anne Margaret um, and uh, Cheers, Staying Elsewhere, Lou Grant, shows like that, um, Spencer for Hire, you know, where I was playing small roles, um, but I really, it, it helped Probably me learn like how to be a professional. Hmm? Yeah, so you, I mean, Cheers, that's like Ted Danson in the, mm -hmm. uh, so were you in the Kirstie Alley part or the Shelley Long part? I was in the Shelley Long part, yes. I played Coach's niece and uh, Woody Harrelson and my character had a little romance, a little, a very like, let's go out for ice cream romance, um, very, very innocent. And, uh, and then uh, Shelley Long's character says, no, 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 you got, you can't have a relationship now. You can't get married and go home. You have babies. You've got to stay in school and, you know, be educated. And so she convinced my character to continue on with college. So it was cute. Yeah, that's a pretty cool set to have been on, though. That had to be fun. It was. It was scary, too. I mean, Paramount, it was a really big deal. Yeah. I saw Leonard Nimoy. I was like, oh, my God, it's fun. <laughs> So it was thrilling. It was thrilling. Yeah. I really, yeah. I really had special magical times as a kid. And, and uh, um, I'll just say that one of the things I learned when I was a kid in show business, although I had many magical, uh, wonderful times, um, uh, was how much a business show business is. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't quite ready for that. Um, I felt like I needed more training, although I had trained there at the Estelle Parsons studio. Um, and I got good training. I, I just wanted to focus more on the art. Um, and uh, and I didn't, as a kid, I just didn't have that need to be famous. I, I liked acting and I liked dancing and singing and having fun, but the fame thing was not in me. So um, fortunately I got a play and that took uh, me to the East Coast to uh, rehearse that play. And then I convinced my mother to move us to New York. And that's when I started studying um, at a place called Michael Howard Studios in, in, in New York. Um, I was the youngest student he ever had. He didn't know I was 17, but I convinced him to let me in his master class and because I had all this experience. And, and so I studied there and I did some independent movies and some plays and then I got all my training. So um, I was just, just turned 19 when I got that show. And so I had a, a, a bit of a body of experience to to lean on that uh, most people actually um, are sort of, um, it's hard for them to wrap their head around it, you know, like, well, what was I like? And how do you manage? And how come you're not like, didn't go to rehab? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I could say, this is a lot of challenges. 
yeah is that i because i studied because i studied the art and craft and instead of like just trying to like get in there and feeling like getting known was the only way to go forward um you know of course which is an important part of the business you know people have to know you and now especially you know oh what's your following and all that jazz but if you don't have the um the craft to fall back on that that's when you begin to feel like oh i'm a fraud oh. and i just um i just didn't want to have that experience you know sure i mean i you, you talk about plays you had done shakespeare i believe right at that link the lincoln center Yes, yes. I was very lucky to have stumbled across a fellow named Delos Brown, who was, who is still a Shakespeare teacher at NYU, and um, uh, so he he invited me to do um, Hero and Much Ado About Nothing um, at Lincoln Center, and I mean it was like a dream come true, you know? Oh my God, this is like the the pinnacle of what I I wanted to do, and I was twenty twenty years old, I think, when I did that. So very young, yeah. Yeah, that had to be pretty amazing to walk out on a stage at Lincoln Center that age. It and was. To do, and to do Shakespeare. I think Shakespeare is somewhat daunting no matter what age you are, right? As an, as yeah, an but, yeah. yeah, but I trained, you know, like I had some classes at Michael Howard's that like were Shakespeare classes, you know, that I could, um, you know, completely count on that, like those techniques and those skills to kind of carry me through and help me break down the language. and understand it that um so yeah i mean that's that that wonderful side of um of training that just again helps you overcome something that feels like confusing you know and now then you're in it you know that's it's it, and galas was also just fantastic in helping us all understand you know what we were trying to communicate now i mean i have to i have to i, I think touch upon all my children uh, and that is, I said, the first time, like, I become aware of you uh, when you, you kind of burst onto the show uh, as uh, Palmer's niece. Uh, you come on with a brother, Will, uh, right? And you really rock the town up a little bit. Uh, did you audition for that role? I did. I, I had several auditions, actually. The, the first time through, I had a callback. And then they asked me to screen test and I couldn't do the screen test because I had gotten a pilot in between the callback and the screen test. And so I, I couldn't, I couldn't do the screen test. So uh, someone else was originally cast. And then um, when they felt like the way she was taking the character wasn't working for their story, um, I was, uh, I was called back to screen test again. I think it was like six months later. And, um, and by that time the pilot had turned into a movie of the week and I was able to, to screen test and um, got the part. Yeah, that was nerve wracking. <laughs> yeah, I, I would th I would think so. Uh, I mean, you you were acting at that point, uh, you know, with a lot of big stars. I mean, the reality is uh, you ultimately get drawn into a storyline eventually with David Canary, uh, right? Bonanza, and he's he, you know he's a pretty he's a pretty big, well established actor, you know. Uh, Susan Lucci's on that show. What was it like? Were you a little intimidated at any point on the set? You know, I had said that what I wanted to, I had to prove myself as an actor um, because if I felt like if I didn't make that job work, um, then I needed to find another profession. Uh, so when I initially got the job, my focus was totally on every single scene, just bringing my best to it. So 
sure. I mean, there were famous people, but I'd been working with famous people all my whole childhood, you know, yeah. Both Peter O'Toole and Ted Danson and Michael McKean and, you know, that, that, uh, you know, um, uh, Steve yes. Martin and Bernadette Peters, you know? Wow. Yeah. That, yeah. That had to be a lot of fun. <laughs> well, you know, what it, what it shows you is that they're professionals, right? They're total professionals and they are there to do the work. You know, I, it's amazing that you think like, oh, we're going to have fun times. Fun times happen after the job. You know, sometimes there's some laughs, um, but most times everybody's there to just like do that work and make it great and, you know, get the joke or get the step or, you know, the dance move or, you know, work with the director. So I, I learned as a child, like the, the, the focus should stay on the job. And then after the job, maybe you'll get to know somebody or in the hallway, somebody maybe will be nice to you. And everyone was very nice to me on all my children, I have to say. I mean, uh, as I said, it was a very congenial. Um, everyone was very kind. Um, David Canary was so kind, just the kindest, loveliest man. And he really set the bar for um, uh, professionalism and uh, discipline always showing up, you know, fully prepared, on time, ready to go. Julia Barr as well. I mean, they were just fantastic actors. So really, I was just trying to make sure that I, uh, you know, didn't trip over the furniture and embarrass myself. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's, you know, really a little uh, hard to hear almost because it seemed like with such ease, you created this iconic character. Right. I mean, so much so that, I mean, they kill you off and they keep bringing you back. Right. Because the, the audience really just can't let go of you. Your, your character is so iconic. Oh, wow. Well, that's that's lovely to hear. I mean, uh, all I can say is, you know, I, I poured that was blood, sweat and tears, you know, and I I I often say to would, would say to the younger actors that came up, you know, the people that have come before you, many of them, we, we've le left blood on the walls, you know. Like yeah. it's when you cry that hard or when you in a scene or, um, you know, have that big of a, of a fight or a moment. I mean, everyone was really in uh, Michael Knight as well, you know, very much into to doing really good acting. And the writers were working incredibly hard to produce, um, you know, powerful work. I, I can't take credit for all of it because it, it's an absolute team effort. You know, the producers, the writers, especially now that I'm working on the other side of the camera a lot. Uh, I, I see how, how much has gone into uh, making these characters uh, special and unique through the situations that they live through, you know, and, and everyone has to uh, bring their A-game for that magic to happen. And, uh, you know, I'm, uh, we called it some, there were various golden years, you know, that we just knew what was happening was special. And um, people would be very quiet, you know, when, when those moments happened, we just come in, do the work and be like, yeah, that was good. That was good. See you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell me, I mean, there had to be a point in time. Um, I, I, I say this all the time on the podcast. Let me start here. Uh, that I think you write that it's very collaborative, right? From the writer who has to get it right on paper uh, to the actor and the actresses who have to uh, breathe life into, into paper character. So into paper Dixie, mm -hmm. you know, um, mm -hmm. and then you know, the, the director who kind of weaves you through the visual storytelling, um, you know, to, to 
the guy capturing it on the camera to the editor, you know, uh, putting it together as to what the, what the best take was. Right? So it's very collaborative from beginning to end to get a final product. So many hands have been in the creative process. But for your, your step in the journey, your creative process, uh, what was it like? I mean, how did you, uh, you know, really burst in to grabbing Dixie off the page and making her so, uh, so popular, so well, well defined and well loved? Um, I guess I could say there, there are like three elements to that. One is as an actor, really making sure you do specific work. You know, I did everything from collages to finding uh, multiple film characters in film history that I could draw on. Um, uh, I think a, it was a common kind of a combination of Sissy Spacek in um, Coal Miner's Daughter, you know, sure. and uh, Billie, Billie Holiday. Um, oh, sure. Where she's, the famous poker scene where she plays cards, you know, uh, and that kind of uh, simple smartness. Um, I, I discovered in those characters. And so I would use elements of them. And uh, that's a sneaky thing, amazingly, that a lot of actors do is they borrow, you know, but like, just like painters or any other, uh, or musicians borrow phrases inspired by ideas, inspired by performances. So, um, you know, that, and then, you know, making sure that uh, I did, I used the craft that I learned at Michael Howard's you know, um, everything from you know, sensory work to environment to, you know, uh, personal things. Um, I would hide personal things on set uh, mm. so that no one would know that there was something in a drawer that was mine. And it kind of gave me a feeling like making the room more real. Um, and I also kind of knew that what my goal was, was to be, make sure that I lived truly as an actor um, I wasn't in it for the fame. Uh, I wasn't in it to create an iconic character. I just wanted to do my job well and play with my other actors well and bring bring my best so that I could continue to work. Um, and, you know, the other two sides of it is uh, there's a piece of the professionalism where you have to be a good uh, member of the cast. So it's important to thank the people that you work for, <laughs> for giving you that opportunity. And I, you know, uh, I made sure that I, I did that. My mom kind of helped me learn that. Like one, one year we gave everybody uh, basically moonshine, <laughs> <laughs> which was what the, you know, like, like what Dixie would give as a present, you know? And, um, and then I mean, thanking the fans, you know, making sure that I signed, you know, headshots and returned fan mail and, you know, showed gratitude for their uh, time and attention, you know? So it's, I guess those are the three things that any actor really could do. Um, uh, and for me, because I, I so desperately needed to keep working and wanted to keep working and wanted to um, have a home, you know, and, and be able to find out whether also that I could do this thing, you know, can I be here? It's very hard. There's a wonderful difference between soaps and, and other jobs is that, you know, you get to go to work week after week after week after week. And eventually you do begin to feel like, wow, I have a, an actor's home, you know, and what's going to be the story now? And, oh, now I'm working with this person. And although there can be downsides to it, the upside is it's a very steady job. And for me at that time, that's something that I so, so needed. Um, my mom had cancer and um, I was the sole provider. So that 
on top of everything else, it was a, an extra, um, what do you call it? A motivation. Yeah. yeah. To make sure that my work, you know, I could continue to work because if I didn't, I mean, doing it, you know, carrying the weight like that and having a job in January and then a job in August and then a job in December is extraordinarily stressful, you know, and that's the usual actor's life. Like there's so much time between your first job and your next job. And in between that, you audition, you audition, you take class, you audition, you audition, you take class, and then you get a job. And then you audition. And, you, you know? and I was like, oh, I need a soap. I need a soap. I need a regular job. So uh, that, uh, that happened uh, to be very, very, you know, it's, it, it was stressful, but it was also a relief, you know, to be able to care for her during that time. Oh, sure. That's, um, you know, that's amazing. That's a really difficult thing for anyone to go through and then uh, to have financial burdens. Um, yeah, that was a, must've been a very hard thing to go through. Well, it's kind of like being a parent, you know, um, I often say I had a child that died. She just happened to be my mother, you know, and, uh, <laughs> it was, it, I was just, once I put that into my head, like, oh, that's, that's what's happening here. You know, I have a, I have a mother that's not really a mother, you know, she's more of a child herself. Um, even though I was very young, you know, there's young people that have kids and heavy burdens and heavy responsibilities and they manage them. And somehow or other, that was just sort of my, um, as a friend of mine likes to say, Katie, you were front loaded. <laughs> yeah. Everybody gets something in this life, right? No one gets out of here without a little bit of heartache or, or, or burden or struggle, you know? I agree. Uh, and maybe some of that uh, fueled uh, your performances uh, that in such a way, you know, you were able to channel some of that angst that was going on in your personal life into your performance. Because, you you know, you certainly were not just popular because of the character, but because of the nuances to your performance uh, in that role. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, there comes a point in time when they pair you with Michael Knight, uh, you know, you become mm -hmm. that, you know, the, the kind of couple. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, do you remember first hearing that you were going to be paired with him? I mean, did you feel like you had a lot of chemistry? Um, I know we had a, a scene early on and I thought, oh, I have to work with that guy. Mm -hmm. I have to work with that guy. Partly because he was such a hot potato, you know, he was he was not your standard, like, I'm going to do the lines as written. I'm going to play this part as it's written. He would just take everything apart and explode it. And <clears throat> he was just a, 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 a magical actor in that way. And, um, and I just thought, that's, that's where it's at. And so whenever I uh, got to work with him, I would try really hard to, like, give more or, you know, really find it. Where can we connect? Where can we connect? And it turned out that uh, the characters were such wonderful opposites, you know? She was so pure and so innocent and so, but smart. Um, and he was so uh, um, experienced and sort of sophisticated and bad boyish, but smart. So they had this one place where they could connect in terms of giving each other, you know, she would pick up his cues and he would pick up her cues. and. I think that's the, the, the dip, the opposites. And then that little place where they could connect was what made it kind of so magical. Sure. And I mean, you, you really do have great 
you know, chemistry on camera. Uh, and you wind up being the, you know, this couple that again, nobody wants to let go of, right? You just, they keep bringing yeah. you back. You're the, you, you know, you're the, the end game really for, for him. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was really special. I mean, and I think Michael and I also, you know, we just had things in common that we didn't even know about at the time, just deep, you know, personal things that were, were similarities um, that we were too young to even realize like what those things were. And over time, you know, we'd look back and be like, how odd it was still so different. I mean, really, we couldn't be more different as people, but um, there is this little place where we, when we cruise into it, um, it's, uh, and, and I, oddly enough, I, you know, it has, it, it circles in the, in the realm of humor, um, you know, uh, and, and I mean, dissecting that is, you know, sometimes to our folly. But uh, he definitely, uh, he and I just, I don't know. It's a special thing. Okay. So before I move on from all my children, I have to ask, do you have an all-time favorite scene that you've you ever shot as Dixie? You know, I have to say it was the scene where um, uh, Dixie thinks that there's a teddy bear. She's lost her mind. And she thinks there's a teddy bear that is her child in the bathtub that she drowned her child. And then it moves into like a group scene where everybody's in the living room and uh, she's losing, she's losing her mind or she thinks she's losing her mind. And Tad is there and Adam is there and um, Lainey is there. Dixie's sister was Paige Turco at the time. And um, Alan, the nefarious Alan was there. Um, and it was just, uh, it was such a wonderful ensemble where everybody was on their game, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's my, that's my, was my favorite scene because we were all, uh, and then the, you know, the police, uh, the hospital guys in their hospital garb from the mental asylum come and take Dixie out. She's trying to reach for Tad. Tad has to let her go. And it was just a perfect scene, you know, and it was an ensemble performance and everybody was, had this, it was perfectly written. Everybody played their part. Um, and it was, and it was heartbreaking. And I, I just always look back at that as one of the best times, the best scenes I feel like I've got got to be a part of. And I think in some way, even with the theater company, it's what I'm constantly trying to recreate in some way, that feeling of when everybody plays their part uh, and you have a wonderful piece of writing, there's something magical that happens for everyone. Um, and... Uh, and 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 it's just a, a very special feeling, and it, and it happens for the audience as well. You know, we all we're all in it together, and it's just great. <laughs> and that's your first Emmy nomination is for your role on All My Children. Am I correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You, you ultimately win the Emmy, but what, what's it like when you get the news that you've been nominated? Like, where are you? I mean, are you walking, you know, you're in the supermarket, and <laughs> you know what? I can't remember. I have no memory of that, of when I got that news. Isn't that strange? That's so odd. I've, no one's ever asked me that. Like, where was I when I got nominated? Oh, my gosh. I don't know. I have to think about that. It'll come to me. Well, um, I'm thinking that's probably just a big moment, you know, when you when you find out. Like, that. This isn't that somewhat the pinnacle? I mean, to be recognized in such a way, you know, that, that you know, you're, you're, in, you're in a contender, for uh, for an Emmy award, I would think would, would have been a big moment. So I thought maybe that stood out for you. <laughs> you would think, I mean, I think maybe I was at the studio. I think somebody came and told me. Um, 
And, you know, usually when those things happen and, and that time and, and every time since, it's a relief. It's a relief that you haven't been overlooked. Right. Like, oh God, you know, all this work. And there's, that's another piece of the whole puzzle, which you really can't control is the politics of these nominations. You know, you wish and you hope that it was truly only for quality, but there is this piece of it that is, you know, um, is it your turn? Is it somebody else's turn? Is it, uh, do people even know who you are? Sometimes people on soaps are working so hard, they can't watch the other shows. Right. So they don't even know. They're like, okay, wait a minute. I heard she did good work. I, oh yeah, somebody said, you know, and they're going off of that, which I know that the um, Academy of Television Arts and Sciences which are desperately, you know, uh, trying to always remedy with like, okay, you send clips. Okay, now we're doing it digitally. Okay, now we're doing it this way. You know, yeah. so that it, it is a matter of, um, of, uh, of, of, of quality being chosen as opposed to popularity. But it's hard... Uh, you know, it's, it, there's always that edge, you know, it's always that edge. So it, it basically, I know it, it was a relief. It was special. And then you kind of just hope people don't hate you. <laughs> <laughs> no. You just hope that they don't hate you for having that accomplishment, you know, because it's a funny thing when we, other people sort of respond to like, you know, uh, uh, an accomplishment. They're like, well, I suppose that's true, honestly, in any in any field, uh, right? Competition mm -hmm. is is real, uh, and mm -hmm. almost any any field that, that things like that happen. Um, yeah, but you I think win, for sure. Right? Do you do you remember hearing your name called? Was that like kind of surreal? One hundred percent. I mean, that was. I had also kept going with with that. If if I don't make it, if I don't get the nomination, if I don't win this, then I am not an actor then I will do something else because this is too hard. This is too hard. I mean, the, it is absolutely one of the hardest professions. It's a heartbreaking profession um, because of sometimes the, the randomness of it. Why them and not me? Why me and not them? Who gets chosen and why? It's, it's uh, the only, so, so yes. Yeah, so when, the, when my name was called, it was again, huge relief. Um, knowing I had to keep it together, uh, knowing I had to um, try to remember people's names and thank them. And, um, and something, you know, a couple of things happened uh, that week. Um, you know, my, my father had um, left us when I was 12 and my sister was also a teenager and, you know, with no, no financial support or, and, or help. And, uh, and he had reappeared uh, that week um, and sent flowers. And of course, you know, you could say that, oh, that's sort of like, oh, that's interesting timing. Um, <laughs> you know, it was. But to me, as a, as a, really somebody who was pretty much still a child, you know, uh, it was very meaningful and, and huge. And it was sort of like, okay, my dad sent me flowers and, you know, maybe everything is going to be okay now. Maybe my dad will be back in my life. And, you know, maybe I won't have to work so hard and take care of my mom. And, um, you know, it, it felt very hopeful uh, and that, you know, and, and winning on top of everything. It, it, it was, it was a big deal. It was, I was a stressed girl. I was, I was a very little stressed little girl. <laughs> you had a lot on your plate. You did. You had a lot on your I plate. I did. I mean, you ultimately get two more Emmy Awards after that. And they're for different characters. 
So, I mean, each time, I mean, once, once for your days of our lives character, I think the others for what, as the world turns, is that uh, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you create two other characters that are so no noteworthy. They also not only get nominations, you win, your, win awards for your, your portrayal of those characters. I mean, that says a lot about you um, and how you go at creating these characters. And I think that's one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you because you seem to have uh, captured the formula, if you will, for creating you know, creating characters that, you know, that, that, that just, they're popular or they're loved or they feel real uh, enough that, that you get this acknowledgement for it. And I thought, well, that, that would be kind of cool to talk to her about, you know, what, what is her process that, you know, how is she kind of going at these characters that, that she's able to make them her own in such a way? No, thank you. I know I really appreciate that. That's the reason why you want to talk to me, you know, because, you know, I feel like that's the thing that I'm most proud of. And is probably what defines me as me over <clears throat> being anyone else. Uh, um, it's basically how hard I work. I work really, really hard. And I enjoy working hard. And I always have. Um, as a little kid, uh, I was in the Girl Scout. As, as an example, right? And they had this this sort of challenge. If you do so many um, of these uh, projects, you'll get a bead for each project. And I was like, hell yeah, I want all the beads. So I'm going to do all the projects. I'm going to do as many projects as I can. Listen, these were not complicated projects, right? These were not like complex. Like, okay, you know, like uh, build a thing with, with the, you know, pencils or like, what do they call those little flat sticks or something, you know, or learn how to braid something, you know? And I was like, this is the best. This is so great. Uh, and I show up on the day to get my beads and I get a bag of beads. And the other girls, they get one bead, two beads, four beads. And they look at me like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I just like to work. <laughs> I don't know. Tele watch, sitting home watching television after a while, it's just like, okay, but I just like to work. So I think that's just just part of who I am like the enjoyment of the process and these characters each one was an opportunity to create something um from even though yes people pointed out oh well you know somebody else played that character before you and I said yeah well they did um but when I do it I I I'm serving the writing I'm serving the character I'm serving the show so it's immediately not about me trying to be the best against someone else it's about me trying to do the do service to this character so that it can live and when the character lives then there's something magic that happens you know is there some is there some process by which you you have your own sense of analysis you know like you're in the shower singing in the morning and it like it hits you like you know i'm gonna put the spin on how how i you know how i take this scene or how she interprets this scene i mean is there some true process do you, you read a scene you let it marinate in your brain uh or is it is it all just i i go in and i'm in the moment and it's all about being in the moment i call it um breaking down a scene right so or you, you every show has an arc and a story 
And I feel the actor's job is to know what their job is in that story and know where they're supposed to serve that story. So you, you break down the story, you break down what your character's job is in that story. Then you break down each scene, which has an arc, beginning, middle, and end. Um, you know, what, what is their journey? You know, what do they need to accomplish? Um, then you break it down another level. What are they doing um, in each scene? Uh, what is their relationship to the characters that are in the room? Um, then you go down another level. What is the environment? Wh what is the room that they're in? What does that room mean? Um, what is the history of that space? Or is there any history to that space? Uh, then there's another level. Is there um, a sensory world of that environment? Is it hot? Is it cold? Um, then you can go into costume, like how do they dress? How do they wear their hair? Um, you know, what what do they feel about themselves? What is their spiritual belief system? Um, you know, why are they in a relationship with this person? What's their relationship to them? Um, and, you know, it's just like level after level of of things that you can play. And then overall like what does this character want in life like what is their overall goal like what do they believe in that is what is their fundamental like every character has like a um like almost a mantra you know like um i believe people are good i believe in love um i believe um people should be forgiven you know i the jennifer is sort of like that uh, for jennifer of days of our lives she's so like i believe in the sanctity of the family and holding the family together no matter what. That by holding the family together, I hold myself together. And if I let down the family, then I'm letting down, I'm, I'm, I'll fall apart. Which is somewhat of a license, isn't it? I mean- How do you mean? Well, I mean, if you, if you say to yourself, I've, I've determined that the greater good is X, mm. you know, and in that case, keeping the family together. It somewhat is a license, I think, to do anything in furtherance of your goal right if you said well, yes yeah <laughs> yes absolutely right like i've got to uh steal this car because my son needs this car and he has to get to the hospital and i wouldn't do it otherwise because that's kind of what you need in so plan right you need but it happens in life too i mean people sure. just they're just they're justifications you know for why they do what they do yeah Absolutely. But I mean, that's an interesting character to write, so to speak. If you have a, if you, if you think if you have uh, an, an ultimate goal for that character, like that character's mantra, as you put it, which is interesting, uh, is I do everything to protect my family. That's a license for every other behavior that becomes, that comes under that. That's somewhat, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> it makes it and a little I interesting. Have to it does. And I have to believe that the, that the writers also like know that and they have their idea of who that character is and what that character's mantra is and, um, you know, uh, or belief system is, and they write to that. Um, you know, my job is to sort of find it because I don't tell you, it's not like you get a character breakdown, like here's what this person believes in. Um, when I took over Rosanna, um, I wrote a whole character history and, turned it in to the executive producer and I was like you know is this okay and do you mind if I like you know I write all this out because I'm just trying to sort of find my way into this character and he was like yeah this is great sure and I'm like I'm not stepping on any toes and he's like no 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 do it so so that was very um <clears throat> helpful to to do that um like I said I did a collage for Dixie um for Jennifer just because I'm older I can do a lot of it in my head now sure. you know 
And then I just do uh, a lot of, just some research to see, okay, what has this character lived before? Um, and what am I coming in to do? And, you know, what is this big moment that, they, that the writers want to achieve? And, you know, a lot of times, especially making sure that you can, you kind of have to have the, the engine, if you will. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that, that's a whole other part of like self-care in one's personal life. Uh, to make sure that you have um, access to yourself and that you understand yourself um, as a person. Uh, you know, M Michael Howard used to say, the more personal, the more universal, which I find is very true. You know, we, we all happen to have these many, many, many universal experiences. Everyone loves, everyone loses. Um, you know, everyone wants uh, to be connected to other people and no to be known. Uh, to be cared about and very simple stuff and um, to survive, you know, um, have a roof over your head. So when, uh, uh, you know, I understand myself, I can put that into a character. And so other people, I feel like that's when they, that's when audience members go, oh, oh, that's, that's me, you know? And that just has a lot to do with being a person who understands myself as a person, I guess. Now, being on Days of Our Lives, um, first of all, you're newly back at Days of Our Lives. Yeah. Um, and any spoilers <laughs> before I ask my next question? <laughs> <laughs> no, go, go ahead. <laughs> um, well, I guess I'm interested in this, friend. I have no idea why, but um, do you have any scene that you ever filmed on Days of Our Lives that you guys couldn't get through you know you see like bloopers ordinarily if it would be a you know a, a nighttime or primetime show a lot of times they'll, they'll show bloopers they don't do that as much for the soaps do you have any scene that you guys were filming that you have a recollection that like we couldn't like there were like a hundred takes of this we couldn't get through it and then when we all did <laughs> but it was just you know oh gosh um i think there was a scene with um Chad and Abigail and myself, and I can't remember what we were talking about, but somehow or other we all got the giggles. Yeah, and it, and, and it was hard to get through. Um, and it was something very serious too. Um, and those are the best moments. There's so much fun when that happens, I have to say. It is so much fun where you just, you know, the seriousness of it just can't, you can't get there. You can't be serious one more time, you know? So yeah, that's they're wonderful people to work with, and I I will I will miss her uh, a great deal because she's really special. That that um, Marcy Miller, yeah, yeah. So you're getting into directing now, right? I have we have to touch yes. on this. You flip to the other side of the camera. Uh, yes. yes. So well, what, first of all, what is that like? I mean, how is that? I mean, I assume it's very different than acting. But what was it like when you stepped on the other side? Um, well, the first time I, uh, studied directing was in the early nineties. Um, and I was on all my children. I was taking a workshop with Kurt Dempster, um, at the Michael Howard studios. Um, and, uh, he was the, uh, artistic director of ensemble studio theater. And I worked with Bernie Barrow, uh, from loving. And I found this other older guy named Danny Darrow. <laughs> And, the, you know, here I am, a 21, 22-year-old girl. I think it was maybe 22. And uh, we were working on a mammoth 
scene from a play he wrote called The Duck Variations. And these two old guys sitting on a bench talking about ducks. And now these two guys did not cut me any slack, any slack at all. But I loved sitting there watching them act and then giving them a little note, giving them a little note, giving them a little note, and then setting up the scene, you know, basically a park bench and a, and a kind of a branch to make a tree. And I, I, it was then I was like, this is great. Directing is great. I just love this beyond words. And um, I, uh, I just was just thrilled. So um, such a sad story. I went to my mom and I said, mom, I want to be a director. And she said, oh God, please don't, I'm dying. And she thought that if I did that, I wasn't going to make any money and I wasn't going to be able to help her. And, and it just was too much of a risk and women didn't do it. And she made me promise not to do it. So, um, you know, it was three years later, she died. And then I had just sort of put it out of my head. And like, I guess that's just not what I'm meant to do somehow in life. And it wasn't until my, um, you know, I'd go to the movies and I'd see things that women would direct or see a play that a woman would direct. And I would wonder like why that's seems so far away as a possibility like how i don't i have no idea how to get there and it just feels like it's that i have a, a stop that i just can't i can't get over this stop this promise that i made you know so it wasn't until my early 40s where i thought i was watching my husband do some directing and i'm like man he seems very gung-ho about this 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 doesn't seem like rock science like this, uh, maybe I should, and he was like, do it, do it, do it. So why are you doing it? You should do it. And so it was the his encouragement and uh, some other actors that were like, yeah, you should do it. Why not? And once I was on the set of my first short film um, with Fantasia, I, I was like, this is the greatest thing. This is the greatest thing. Uh, because it's, it's using all those elements of sound and image and working with actors and um, listening really deep listening to what's going on and um, weaving them together, working with the team, working with uh, uh, other artists, you know, from editors to colorists and um, composers. Uh, it's like, <laughs> my husband calls it painting with a very expensive brush, <laughs> 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 which is what filmmaking is for sure. Um, and then, uh, Axial Theater came about because um, one of the other uh, directors in training in that class with Kurt Dempster, Howard Meyer, had gone on to found this theater company, Axial Theater. And John had been in one of his plays. And um, then Howard and I had done one of, I directed one of his plays in 2018, uh, Paint Made Flesh um, in New York. And it was a wonderful experience. And we had a great time together. Wasn't that, didn't you write that? No, Howard wrote that. He did write yeah. that. You wrote, yeah, you wrote, wrote something. That. Didn't you write something that was acknowledged in a lot of festivals? Um, I have had a couple of short uh, films, and then I did a documentary film about female directors. Oh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is a big so. deal. I mean, which is, is important, <clears throat> I think, to get that message out, especially for somebody at your level, uh, you know, to... to you know, to, to throw that out there into the world. I think it's important. Women encouraging other women um, is really important and, and probably not done as much as it should be. 
100%. And that was my goal with the film was to make sure it was a film about women encouraging other women, you know, or, you know, female identifying peoples. Um, because uh, I didn't want to talk about the people who stop you. I didn't want to talk about the Me Too movement, um, which, of course, I've had an enormous amount of experience with all of that. It was a part of show business that was if you didn't get tough enough to handle that kind of talk, you weren't going to be in, the, you shouldn't be in the business. That's how it was in the nineties. It was, um, you know, you just had to learn to be tough enough to live with it. Um, and fortunately, you know, here we are all this, you know, with all of what's was exposed, I just felt like um, what I had to bring to the table was um, ha women telling other women, here's how I did it. Because that's really not, that's not a conversation that we get to have very often. Just like you asking me, how did you do it? How did you do it? Like, here is exactly how I did it. And, uh, and you can do it too, right? Like, here are, here's the elements of the craft. And persevere, you know, start where you're at, start in your circle, wherever you are, and then start widening that circle and then widening that circle and widening that circle. And yes, it takes time and, 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 and discipline and dedication. You know, my mantra is just don't quit. I like that. I like that. That's, that's probably the best advice you can give anybody, uh, you know, trying to go after a goal. I think if you, you ultimately don't give up any, you know, anybody can accomplish anything, uh, but it's mm. easy. It's easy to stop in the journey when, as things get hard, um, mm. success doesn't always come easy, right? It doesn't. And, you know, the thing that I also learned more recently than, than, than not was how much all of it is just a game. You know, it's just a game. It doesn't say that someone is better or, you know, than anybody else. It's, they're just playing a game and they've figured out certain elements of the game. There's elements of this game I have not figured out. The fame part of it, because I've been like, oh, no, 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 no. You know, oh, I'd like to go grocery shopping, okay? Like, and not be bothered. Like, I don't want that level of fame, you know? I don't want to have to constantly just, you know, watch out on the street for people asking me things, you know? I had a little bit of that with Dixie at, a, at the height of her fame and of that character's fame. I, I don't even think of it as me, as my fame. It's just the character's popularity. And I, I have to say, I didn't enjoy it, you know? Uh, people yelling at me on the street and stuff like that. And of course, I've chased somebody down the street. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I chased Roger Reed down the street because I was like, you don't understand. You're the greatest actor ever. He's this guy from the Royal Shakespeare Company. Oh my God. You're so Flowers. And he's like, oh, oh, thank you. Like, um, <laughs> so I'm like, it's embarrassing. Um, but, uh, but other people have figured out how to how to groove it, you know what I mean? How to understand it. Like Ty Burrell is fantastic at that, you know, using it as a way to help people, adding their name to Kids in the Spotlight, for example, which is an organization both my husband and I are ambassadors for, you know, help foster youth, make films. What a beautiful thing, you know, help help other people with that fame. That's that's the trick of it. And once you do that, then it's not about you, right? It's just become another tool um, to use for a, a, a good cause, you know, to help others. 
which is really fundamentally what acting is all about or any creativity. We are communicating with each other. We're connecting with each other. So, you know, maybe I've just had a realization right here on your show, Tony. <laughs> Good. It's a, again, important conversations to have and we're having one. Yeah. yeah. So to tell everybody, uh, where can they still see the play that you're directing? Yes, we haven't opened yet. We opened November 10th uh, at the Bethany Arts Community in Ossining, New York. And um, the Bethany Arts Community is a very beautiful, uh, uh, it's an old, it's a beautiful space. It's a beautiful place. It's an old um, a seminary uh, where um, they have many artists in residence. They have gallery spaces um, and they have a theater. And uh, so we're using their theater. Um, they have outdoor sculptures and I mean, it's just gorgeous. Um, so I recommend that anybody goes there anyway, but um, please come and see our play. <laughs> we have eight shows. It's two weekends, the 10th through uh, the 20th. Um, Sundays, uh, the first Sunday's at three. The second Sunday is going to be at 11. We're going to do an early morning show. Um, and it's a c combination of actors from the Michael Howard Conservatory, which is like wonderful for me. It's like bringing those young people um, forward and back, going, reaching way back home and and bring it forward into my life. And then uh, Axial Ensemble members. I mean, Howard has kept that ensemble going for 20 years. So there's some wonderful um, sage and talented people um, uh, that have been with the company or uh, involved in the company in some way over a long period of time. And uh, so, and it's a very special play. And I'll talk about this very quickly because I know we're running out of time. Um, this play is called Never the Sinner and it's by John Logan who wrote Red, which is a very uh, popular uh, show um, about a painter, very beautiful uh, play. And um, then he also went on to write Gladiator and the Bond movies, uh, Spectre and uh, Skyfall. Um, he's just a fantastic writer. And this was one of his early plays from the 80s. I think it might've been his first. And he takes on the story of Leopold and Loeb, who were two young men in 1924, who were privileged, uh, wealthy, well-educated, uh, who uh, fell in love and, and decided to, to uh, commit what they called the perfect crime, which was a murder where they don't get caught. Unfortunately, they get caught. And then they have their, this trial over, you know, what to do with them. Do we hang these teenagers? Or do we... Um, uh, you know, imprison them for life? And how do we understand what they did and why they did what they did? It's a real struggle because they didn't need the money. You know, it didn't seem like they, they, they seemed like they had everything. They had parents, they had privilege, they had education, they had support. What happened? You know, are they meant something wrong with their minds, something wrong with their spirits? Um, and I felt it was so relevant to what's happening these days with young people committing these, these crimes where they kill one or many. I mean, very young, very young people. Um, somehow or other linking passion and murder. And I wanted to sort of like, okay, let's explore this. And how can we start having conversations with young people now as to, you know, uh, why this is not a good thing? 
what are our moral values, you know, um, irrespective of whatever spiritual belief system that you have or don't have, you know, what is right and what is wrong? And why is the understanding what right, right and wrong is so important? You know, and, uh, and the issue of these whether two boys is that in is it innate? I mean, I mean, we all have a sense of right and wrong that's <clears throat> kind of innately with us, um, as opposed to it just being learned in the home. Like, aren't we all sort of born with a sense of right or wrong? Well, that's the thing. I don't think so. All I don't taught. think so. It's all taught then from your perspective. I, I mean, that's been debated, through, through, you know, for, for generations. This is something philosophers, you know, go on and on. It's, it's, a, it's a heavy issue you're, you're taking on. It is. I mean, but if you imagine, you know, if you just let a kid do whatever they want to do. I mean, when I was a little girl in kindergarten, I stole a little peg toy. And I took it and I stole it and I knew I'd stolen it. I was nervous and everyone was watching. What was I going to do? And I went to the big wheel that we climbed and there was a little hole and nobody would find it. I dropped the little peg thing in the hole. And I felt guilty about that for 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> I stole the peg thing and I hid it and it's probably still in there. I should go back to that school and tell them I stole the peg thing. But that's just my character, you know? Um, you know, is that, but I did, I did it, but I did it. I've killed spiders and flies and ants. You know, I think everybody knows what it's, that's like Michael Howard used to say, if you know what it is to kill an ant, you know what it is to murder a person. There's just that kind of cold. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. Um, I guess we all have sections of our brain where we, 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 you know, uh, assign value, uh, right? And we don't see them. They don't always see things the same way. Like I'm definitely, I've said this before, I'm definitely afraid of spiders. Uh, so like for me, I guess I've assigned a value and it's a spider, you know, I don't see that the same as a human being. So when I kill a spider, I don't, I don't think of that, you know, that it is a living thing. I'm taking the, that away from, the, you know. I'm, I'm making it no longer a living thing. So I suppose there is an element of truth to that. Right. So the Buddhists, right, would say kill nothing, right? Take the spider outside, right? Then you no longer have that blood on your hands. <laughs> <laughs> Other people would be like, oh, come on, you know, life and death, <clears throat> you know, trees live and die. We live and die. Like they'll put so much weight on it. But in between all of that, you know, uh, you could in the right circumstances, under the right pressures, with a certain people around you, influences or lack of influences, a person can turn to murder and think that taking a life, like that the only way they could survive is if somebody else dies. That is the thing that they get to. And it's just a step that any one of us could make as a choice at any time. We just hopefully, through conversation, understand why we should not make that choice. The value of human life. And that just that conversation of the value of human life is one that I don't see going on around 
a whole lot. No, it's not. Right? We, we're all numbers or eyeballs or, you know, clicks or, um, you know, and, and, you know, or that we have no control or that someone else is trying to take our pie. And, you know, what about just the simple value of human life, of your life? Like, that's basically my job as an actor, right? That's what we're supposed to do as actors is help everybody remember. It's almost like if you go back to the Greeks or the Romans, you know, the early, like on the stage, we were there to induce a sense of, um, of uh, oh, what's the word? Um, not just empathy, but like a catharsis. catharsis. Yeah, catharsis. And yeah. through catharsis, you, yeah. you, right? You recognize, oh, oh, this is who I am. Oh my God, I cried so hard when that character died. Now I understand that I feel I feel more human again. I'm relieved of pressures, you know. Um, it's not in its best sense. It's not just entertainment, and that's what I was taught at Michael Howard's, and it's what I've tried to live my whole life, you know. And so I'm hoping that these actors, through this telling this story, will also provide that a, a little catharsis, a little dropping down into like, okay, how am I going to go talk to my kids tonight about what I just saw, or we're going to, we're hoping to have some schools come in and see it and talk to the high school students and maybe even bring the play to some schools where there are especially a lot of privileged kids. Um, so they can realize what a tiny little slip it can be, tiny little choice that they make and maybe to not make it. How important. You know even the little decisions can be how close you can be to the edge and not even know it. Um, yeah. I think that's such an important story. Another important project that you're involved with. It sounds fascinating by the way. And uh, I, I encourage everybody to get out and see it. Um, you know, I'll put the link up, uh, you know, for, to be able to get tickets and, uh, you know, encourage everybody to check it out. I mean, honestly, I could have spent another hour with you. You had so many other projects and things I didn't even get to. Um, I'm happy we, you know, we got to spend this time together, though. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Tony. And um, I'm happy to come back another time and, and talk some more. Oh, lovely. I would love to. I would love to. Because, I mean, I have a list of other things, other projects that you've done that I thought was noteworthy to talk to. But, you know, how these conversations go once you start talking, you know, you almost need hours to get to it all. So. Um, yeah, well, I, I appreciate you listening and thank you for asking questions about my life and my process. And I really hope that it inspires some, some actor out there to, uh, you know, dig deep and, and, and you know, do, do the work that they dream of doing. I hope so too. At the end of the day, it truly is a craft that you develop over time. And I think you are doing so much work. I mean, you have charity work that you're involved in and you are doing a lot of work to help the next generation, you know, leave the world a little bit better, share what you've learned. Um, I applaud that. Uh, and, uh, you know, I encourage people, other people listening to do that. If you're in a position to help to extend a hand, you know, to the next generation, uh, and especially mm. with women to help other women. So I, I completely mm. applaud who you are and what you're trying to do. I hope you, you mean that and you do come back. And on that note, I'll say, I'll let you go. Cause I know I went way over on you and you have someplace else to be. <laughs> That's okay. I'm, I'll text them and they'll, they'll understand. It's been, it's been such a pleasure, Tony. Thank you so much.
Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Bye, everyone. Okay, bye.